You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey there, Blake. How are hey, you doing? I'm cold, Ben, because I don't have a Monster Talk t-shirt. You know you know what would be really cool, Blake, would be if a there was a... Monster Talk t-shirt. Yes, that just, that's just what I was thinking. Um... Why Why don't we have somebody design a t-shirt, Blake? But, Ben, who could we ask? Hmm, I don't know. Let me think. Dun, dun. Hey, I have an idea, Blake. Why don't we hold a contest and we'll have our listeners, many of whom are very creative and, frankly, much better artists and are smarter than we are, and ask them to, to submit some designs for our super cool, awesome Monster Talk t-shirt. I like this idea, but how can we properly incentivize our listeners to participate? That's a great question, Blake. Let me think. Hey, I know. Maybe we could offer prizes for first, second, and third place designs. And, of course, the grand prize, the best one, will be put on a Monster Talk t-shirt. What do you think of that, Blake? I think we should use the losers, too. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I, I think that's... I think that's a great idea. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we have an official Monster Talk t-shirt contest challenge thingy? We'll have, like, the deadline be the end of the year. The 2012 Monster Talk t-shirt contest thingy. Submit your designs to contest at monstertalk.org. Deadline for entries December 31st, 2011. Winners to be selected in January. Chances are they're not what you think they are. All your life you've been shown images of genies as powerful, magical entities which have, through one method or another, been trapped in a lamp or a ring and are forced to do the bidding of anyone who possesses such items. But those so-called genies have about as much to do with traditional gin of Arabic folklore as Casper the Friendly Ghost has to do with The Shining. Here's the most important difference between the genie from pop culture and the creatures called jinn. Many people all over the world believe that jinn are real, often malevolent creatures which are responsible for hauntings and possession. They fit the cultural niche that ghosts and demons fill in Western culture and are generally not at all the sort of creature you'd want to let out of a bottle or encounter in a desolate valley or an abandoned home. And while they inspired I Dream of Genie and Disney's Aladdin, they also fueled the writings of H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard. So sit back and prepare to uncork a bottle of gin 
on this episode of Monster Talk. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and together with Ben Radford, we're going to chat with author Robert Lebling about his new book, Legends of the Fire Spirits. It's a very comprehensive book about the folklore surrounding creatures known as djinn. Of course, Ben and I are skeptics, and Lebling's book presents the legends, folklore, and modern anecdotes from a neutral stance. He's living in Saudi Arabia in a culture where these entities are not only believed by the public, but also endorsed by the Quran and by Islam. Listeners to Monster Talk will recognize that I have an affinity for tales of the paranormal and the supernatural, and so do my co-hosts. If you're into that sort of thing, I think you'll find Lebling's book a fascinating read. We don't have him on to debate the existence of these entities, but to talk about the legends. Some of the tales of Jinn will describe phenomena similar to a haunting, others to possession, yet others to fairy tales and folk tales and even alien abduction stories. All of these classes of phenomena are familiar to skeptical paranormal enthusiasts, but it's fascinating to hear these same kinds of experiences attributed to an entirely different entity. I find that interesting as a skeptic and as an enthusiast of anthropology and psychology. I suspect you will too if you give his book a read. Let's get to our interview with Robert Lebling right now. Monster Talk. What led you to become interested in, in Jin? Um, I suppose my interest in the Middle East uh, probably led to that. Um, I'm interested uh, in anthropology. I did, did some study in college and um, started to hear stories over here in Saudi Arabia and other countries in the region. And um, I became interested in... Uh, finding out what what was behind the stories so i did started to do research into it and i uh, got access to a very good library of um, old material and new material and uh from there i i um i decided i ought to start my own uh, yahoo group and and start chatting with people about it and before you know it uh the gin group was born and um and from that, I started collecting material over the years. It's been, this goes back to the 1990s, because I've been here since 94 in Saudi Arabia. And uh, it's now, uh, it's just one of those things that uh, it's kind of hard to shake. So I, I've, I've been, uh, you know, I decided eventually the material I collected was worth putting into a book. And, and after working on it uh, through a number of iterations with uh, my editor at IB Taurus, um, we finally found something that we thought would work, a narrative history. And uh, so that's where we are. Um, we've told yeah. what we think is the origins and the um, 
and uh, the scope of the jinn phenomenon around the world, uh, primarily in the Muslim and Arabic-speaking world. Uh, but um, I don't know. There's more. I've collected so much material over the years about other um, supernatural phenomena, uh, spirit creatures, and the like that uh, may spin those into another book at another time. Uh, drawing in, uh, discussing the parallels between the genie or the jinn uh, phenomenon and uh, and uh, uh, those of other countries, for example, a Celtic tradition. Uh, the elves and fairies and so forth. Yeah, and I, I, China and so forth. I was going to say I, I, I've, you know, I've, I've read your book, of course, Legends of the Fire Spirits, and I, re- I have to say, I really enjoyed it. It just it, it had such good, rich historical context and, and, and anthropological context. It was fascinating to me to, to read an account. Uh, of of Jin that was in depth and scholarly uh, because a lot of the stuff that I read about because you know this is one, one of my interests and um, so much of it was just sort of superficial you know mentions in passing and I was struck by uh, the the research that w- that went into it now can you talk a little bit about that research? Well, um, I started collecting stories and and um, talking to people in Saudi Arabia particularly um, about. What, how they perceive the jinn? Uh, it's a question of perception, clearly, and and of of um, explanation. How do you explain phenomena that that are, are puzzling and perhaps don't uh, fit into your into the normal experiences of, of your life? Um, the people of the Middle East and uh, the greater Islamic world um, believe firmly that jinn are real creatures. Um, they are. Uh, this this comes uh, primarily from from the um, the passages in the Quran, the holy book of Islam that um, uh, that verify the existence of genies for Muslims. Um, and um, you know, for us uh, in the West, uh, it's kind of it's an alien concept. But there were things about it that really. That seems similar to phenomena that I was seeing in other countries, and I, I was also um, interested in uh, comparing how the how the jinn behaved with with the um, alien phenomenon in mm-hmm. in the United States, um, alien abductions and so forth. Uh, in the Middle East, uh, the jinn do the same kind of abducting as as aliens in uh, Western culture. Are, are said to do, and so I, th- I thought there were there might be some parallels here and things worth exploring. And I started digging deeper into the material, and before you knew it, uh, I'd come up with a a plan, and uh, and I put put it down on paper and, and moved from there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the people that I know in Saudi Arabia that who believe in the jinn phenomenon are, are very reasonable, uh, ordinary folk. Um, and, and the fact that they take this so seriously um, indicates to me that I should at least try to understand uh, where they're coming from. And that's what the book is about, an attempt to understand how people can believe in a phenomenon like this and uh, what does it mean for them and does it have more meaning than than simply a fireside story? Is it more than... Than something to scare kids with uh, in the evenings, or is there something to it that um, is deeply embedded in in human nature? And uh, I think there is. 
I really do. I think that the belief in um, in gin here, uh, I've compared it among a number of societies, and I, in, in some cases, I mean, you, it takes a while to get into into the gin phenomenon, but there are evil gin and good gin. There are uh, the gin are um, a creature of uh, a sentient being with uh, the ability to distinguish right from wrong, the ability to to act on free will and um, make choices, and some of them end up being uh, believers in God or a higher power. can be any religion. Uh, others um, reject religion and, um, and yet are inextricably linked with it because they associate themselves with the devil. And um, you have... Uh, the evil jinn are they fall into several categories you've got um the ifrit uh well actually you got a, a lesser category called the shaitans which simply means the satans like demons um then there are the ifrit which are are often larger and more frightening than the shaitans and then you have the marids which are the largest and most powerful of all jinn and all these um Beliefs in, in evil jinns are, are balanced by a belief that there are good jinn. Um, some of them become uh, uh, partners of, of people and uh, protect them. Some of them protect houses, like the old uh, in the old uh, Roman concept of, of the genii or the, the genius, uh, a household deity, and. Uh, so we have have all these kinds of things going on at the same time, and it's it's kind of interesting to to try and uh, separate them out and figure out you know why somebody believes in in this sort of thing and why um, and, and to what extent it's uh, it prevails. I mean, you'll you'll find some people who will tell you that they think this is, these are all fairy stories or or the like that they're not really. Um, they're not really true, and then mm-hmm. and yet you will find that these same people are. Uh, will be frightened to go into an empty house for fear of disturbing the jinn, and and also they'll use um, use religious um, formulas to protect them from the jinn under many many circumstances. So, how seriously are the jinn taken? I mean, as you said, some people some people believe in them and others don't. Is it is it a case of where all good Muslims uh, necessarily believe in the existence of jinn, or is it a case, no. for example? Well, for example, I mean, the one analogy that I got from the book was in some ways you might compare jinn uh, to demons or angels, uh, probably demons, uh, in the yeah. Bible, where, you know, not all Christians necessarily literally believe in the existence of angels, but many of them do. Yeah, exactly. No, this is, this is right. Um, if you talk to a, a westernized um, a Muslim in, in this part of the world, they'll often... Uh, tell you that uh, there may per- perhaps be a metaphorical explanation for the jinn. Um, there are some interpretations that say jinn could be uh, simply uh, bad people or, or um, unusual people. Um, there are some who, who, who feel that, uh, who, who don't accept the, uh, the concept at all. I mean, you have a complete spectrum of, of people uh, the more religious the people are, the more they tend to believe in it. And the more traditional they are, the more they tend to believe in it. And we have um, a lot of traditional people here in Saudi Arabia, and they tend to tend to accept it. Uh, in, 
in fact, uh, the government of Saudi Arabia is very, very opposed to the the, um, uh, the notion of black magic, which would be the kind of sorcery or magic that summons jinn to do your bidding. That can be a criminal offense here, and in fact, in some cases, you can be sentenced to death for it. Uh, which indicates that they believe it's not simply a case of fraud, but um, uh, of a person trying to defraud someone by by claiming that they have access to the jinn and can tap their powers, but rather that they uh, that indeed it is a real threat and it is a threat to goodness and religious belief. So, so how is how is the uh, the Arabian Jin concept different from like the westernized version of the genie in the bottle. Well, uh, that's that's pretty much entertainment, and you do find that in in um, the culture here. If you go back to the Arabian Nights tales, uh, there are a number of those. There there are genies in bottles, but they're only a small. Uh, it's a small. Uh, small fraction of of jinn belief, and it really is. Um, is purely for entertainment. The storytellers will tell stories about jinn who have uh, have these powers, and that you can you can call on them to do these do uh, things for you. But um, in in terms of day to day life, nobody here expects to come across a a bottle with a genie in it on the beach. Um, what they what they think will happen is they they might encounter jinn in um, in remote places, um, places that are desolate, ruins, archaeological ruins, for example, um, uh, sewers, um, dark places, caves. You mentioned that. I That was actually one of my questions was, it seems like Jinn, uh, they inhabit abandoned places in, in that way, in, in, in that particular way. They sort of fulfill the same niche as uh, ghosts do here in the U.S. Uh, for yes. people. It's a haunted thing. Of ru- it haunts ruined places. Um, does, does, is there more belief in jinn than ghosts in Saudi Arabia or in the Middle they, East? They don't, there isn't a belief in ghosts as we know it, uh, okay. ghosts being spirits of the dead. Uh, at least I haven't come across it. Anytime uh, someone will tell you that a, an abandoned old building is haunted, it's haunted by jinn. And jinn are not not considered to be the spirits of the dead. They are a separate um, species of being, uh, an intelligent being that lives on earth with man. In fact, lives in other places as well, perhaps in another dimension. Perhaps uh, uh, since they're invisible, uh, it, it frequently it's hard to tell where they where they hang out, but there are stories about about that. Um, but the jinn have the ability to 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 pass from invisibility to visibility, and uh, they do that through means that uh, we can't explain. And um, there are some people. Uh, I I think my book indicates. Uh, some people who've tried to speculate as to whether perhaps the jinn are uh, visible in, in spectra that we can't see, the infrared or the ultraviolet. Uh, ultra, infrared generally for jinn and ultraviolet for angels is the way that people in this part of the world look at it. Anyone who tries to find a scientific explanation for these creatures. Um, but they live, um, they guard treasure, 
They they live in abandoned places. They and yet at the same time, the the jinn are known as as a tribal people. Uh, they are said to live uh, to have families and uh, like human beings um, and uh, tribal groups, clans. Um, there have been stories of them uh, doing the pilgrimage to Mecca uh, hmm. by camel caravan, um, people encountering them in the desert. Uh, so there are, um, they have a whole lot of, a whole range of, uh, of actions and experiences that, uh, that go a little bit beyond haunting. They also seem to have the ability uh, to uh, possess human beings, uh, much as, uh, as a demon would in the Western tradition, um, the exorcist kind of thing. Um, and there are people in this country and in others in the area uh, religiously oriented people, um, religious scholars and so forth, who specialize in um, helping to uh, exorcise demons from uh, afflicted people. This gets into the area of psychology, of course. Um, and some people, there are cases of people who have gone through uh, psychiatric treatment without benefit and and then went to a religious leader and and were exorcised and were cured. Um, of course, there are probably many cases where the where that doesn't happen, uh, but there people will do talk about that. Mm-hmm. So you have a possession as one another aspect, um, and um, well, you have a whole lot of things. The origin of jinn, they go way back. I mean, this is not something that started with Islam, even though the Islamic faith confirmed the existence of jinn, as, uh, as the people here would say. Um, they go back at least as far as the ancient Sumerians. Um, and and there, were, there were a number of... Uh, uh, I guess they were, one would consider them early deities, perhaps... Um, um, uh, nature spirits, um, wind gods, and that sort of thing, who, who eventually became jinn. And you hear about the uh, uh, the demon of the Exorcist, the movie, and uh, and the book. Um, was that Pazuzu, right? Pazuzu. Yeah, Pazuzu. Yeah, yeah. Now, Pazuzu is is thought to be an early jinn form. He he comes out of the uh, Pazuzu uh, is is uh, comes out of the hot desert wind. And that uh, is one interpretation of how, how the jinn are born or are created. Um, generally, people here believe that they were they're created uh, from uh, smokeless fire. That God originally created them from smokeless fire, like He was is supposed to have created uh, man out of clay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they um, there are some who believe that uh, that the um, that the jinn actually come from hot desert, the scorching desert wind. Um, but for the purposes of my book, that when I call them fire spirits, I'm referring to that origin. Not that they have any uh, connection with fire now, just as humans would not be considered to be clay creatures, uh, but um, it simply identifies their origin in the views mm-hmm. of most people in this part of the world. Getting back to you're talking about how it was originally associated with the winds and stuff. It 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 was it struck me reading the book that in many ways the jinn come from a long tradition of blaming sort of the the supernatural 
or, or natural other uh, for bad things that happen. You know, you, you, you have droughts, you have sandstorms, you have bad areas or areas where, where wise travelers either don't go or, or tread very lightly. And it seems like the, the, the jinn uh, reside in those places. And so in some ways it seems like the, the jinn are used, uh, as, as other monsters are throughout the world as well, as sort of a boogeyman. You know, well, watch out. You know, if you, if you <laughs> don't stay too far off the path because, you know, bad things will happen to you. Um, in, in, in you also talk, for example, about how, uh, about how jinn uh, are said to... Um, appear in the form of snakes and that there's a prohibition against killing snakes because well don't don't kill a snake because if it turns out to be a jinn you're going to be in bad trouble so it's sort of <laughs> uh, again sort of the 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 social control aspect of of uh, of jinn can you can you talk a little about that yeah that's um well this they can take the form of many things snakes is, is one of the most common but uh they're the fact that um uh, I mean, the number of stories uh, in Islamic uh, lore about people who have killed snakes and have, have been punished for it, uh, either gone before jinn courts or or, or um, been put to death or by um, by spirits, or uh, there are lots of ways that, that they could take revenge. Uh, but the idea of um, in Islam is that if you if you have a doubt as to whether a creature is is actually um, a jinn. If you if you see an animal and you think it perhaps is a jinn, you use a, a religious formula. You recite a religious formula to determine uh, if that's the case. Um, generally, um, what they call the Bismillah, or in the name of God, Bismillah Rahman Rahim, in the name of God, the Compassionate and Merciful. If you say something like that, um, and there are a number of other formulas, but that's the most common. Um, the the jinn uh, will flee from you, and you won't have to worry about having to kill them. Uh, in the case of a snake, it would leave you, or uh, uh, even insects in your house, if uh, if they happen to be jinn, and you recited uh, uh, one of, uh, one of these formulas, then uh, they would leave you. Oh, wow! Another, but, let's go see. That's very similar to. Um the way that uh, Christians often deal with demonic forces is a, an incantation, a Hail Mary, that sort of thing. Yes. So, yeah. and, and what you were saying about the about, uh, the forces of nature is actually, I think, uh, pretty pretty close to the case in, in some respects. Certainly, there are all kinds of, of environmental hazards in this part of the world that that can be explained by by the uh, by the inter- intervention of supernatural creatures, um, and I think that's, that probably is the case. But there are also um, there are also other uh, there are explanations that um, that are not related to nature, and um, so we have we have all kinds here. Uh, the animal thing is is interesting. Shape shifting seems to be one of the uh, characteristics, the most common characteristics of jinn, um, and why they would take one shape rather than another, has, hasn't really been well explained to people. Um, but you do see them in just about every animal form except the wolf. And hmm. um, that is, uh, has, is kind of mysterious, but uh, there, there is uh, apparently the jinn cannot uh, or will not uh, emulate a wolf for some reason. There, there is uh, a, a jinn creature in Yemen that does take the form of a wolf, 
and that's the sort of the exception that proves the rule. It's something called the Udrut, and it, it uh, appears on the scene when someone has been killed and there is blood, when there is some sort of a violent act and there is a dead person. The Udrut creature as a wolf will, will come and lurk and scare people, but it never does anything. I mean, it never attacks anyone. Uh, it's just a, a visible presence. Um, hmm. That's the only time uh, that I've ever come across uh, jinn uh, in the form of wolves, and that's only in, in uh, southern Arabia. Uh, in the other parts of Arabia, the, they would never, the jinn would never take the form of a wolf. So is, uh, for, for, I was say, is the scope um, culturally is 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 the scope of uh, the influence of jinn uh, tied to? Islamic culture, or is it tied to North Africa, or how do you think that plays out? Because I know there's a lot of shape-shifting beliefs uh, in sort of shamanistic parts of Africa, but I don't remember uh, in, in Southern Africa, for example, hearing about jinn. For I don't remember that coming up. Yeah, the, the, you do have the jinn in, uh, in in certain parts of Africa, mostly ones where the influence of Islamic culture is uh, is strong, particularly areas where Arab traders came through. But and also um, in uh, Nigeria, uh, up, up near the Sahara, where the influence came across uh, the desert from the the Berbers, the Tuaregs, and other nomadic people. But North Africa has its own; they have its own twist. Uh, the North Africans have their own twist on um, on jinn belief. Um, some of it's really interesting. Uh, the, there's the, the famous. Uh, a character, a, a woman um, who is a, a, like a Lilith figure. In the book, we talk about Lilith as being not only a, a creature of of Jewish lore, an ancient uh, Jewish lore, but also of uh, of Arabic lore, and also pre-Islamic Arabic lore, because the ancient Babylonians had a Lilith figure, which would be a a female that seduces men and and uh, wreaks havoc on on babies and um, does a number of things, uh, a very antisocial things that uh, that result from how that that legend developed. The um, the Lilith creature, in fact, Lilith is sometimes viewed in the in the Babylonian tradition as a vampire, which maybe, I mean, there are some Middle Eastern. Um, Parallels to to some of our famous Western monsters, and that that may be one. Um, but the um, this Aisha Kandisha character in uh, Morocco and Algeria, um, to a limited extent Tunisia, is um, is a very powerful force. Um, this is like uh, it, it's along the lines of the incubus or succubus. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, that seduces men, particularly, uh, uh, well, not just single men, but they, they seem to be particular, uh, often victimized, but also um, married men, because the tradition is, of course, that uh, Lilith, or Aisha Kandisha, is, uh, uh, was, was rebuffed by, well, left Adam. Actually, she uh, made the choice to leave Adam because of her uh, uh, un- unwillingness to accept uh, his uh, domination during uh, during sexual relations, um, and um, because she wanted to be on top, uh, basically, and that ca- that um, that belief that that she uh, uh, in leaving Adam 
uh, was filled with rage and uh, and uh, went to the Red Sea and uh, mated with a number of demons and produced all kinds of jinn, uh, evil jinn particularly. Um, this uh, character, this Lilith character is, is in North Africa is, is become is named Aisha Kandisha and she is there's even a, a a band that's named after her. It's very quite uh, interesting how powerful that influence is. Uh, I was gonna... You also find character. You also find in Tunisia some some strange stuff. Uh, uh, they have jinn of, of of the land, sea, and air, and and this is a, probably the only place where you'll really see an in-depth uh, um, uh, portrayal of jinn as uh, aquatic creatures. They're sort of like mer creatures, uh, mermen and uh, mermaids. So that's uh, that's really interesting. But it comes out of the fact that Tunisia is a strong uh, merchant tradition and is the site of ancient Carthage and so forth. And that um, belief goes back at least as far as the Carthaginians. Well, you, you mentioned uh, the the historical uh, character of Lilith. Um, if I'm not mistaken, King Solomon is also supposed to have uh, a connection to Jinn. Can you talk about that? Yes, King King Solomon. Uh, it's funny, uh, uh, this time of year in Saudi Arabia, uh, when you're walking in an area where there are trees and, and some grass, you'll often see uh, a bird called the hoopoe. It's a rather colorful, but it's a, it's a light uh, brown bird with, with black stripes on it and a tuft on its head. It's really a, a striking-looking bird. You see, you see a lot of them this time of year, and this was a, a bird that uh, is, is very famous in uh, in ancient lore. It, in Arabic it's called the Hudhud, H-U-D H-U-D. And this and it's also very important in Jewish lore. Um, and the uh, the hoopoe uh, brought um, to King Solomon in Jerusalem word of the Queen of Sheba. The first time he ever heard of her. She, now Sheba is Supposed to be ancient Saba, which is down in uh, in the corner of Arabia in Yemen, and um, she is supposed to be half jinn. Um, I'm trying to think now whether it was her mother or her father, but I don't know which one uh, was supposed to be of jinn origin. And um, uh, the hupo told Solomon because Solomon had the uh, the ability from God to communicate with animals and jinn. Um, told Solomon that uh, this beautiful queen was was down in in uh, Saba and that that he really ought to check her out. So he invited her to come up to um, to Jerusalem, and then then uh, you know the rich lore of, of Solomon and Sheba followed out of that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. 
But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Um, in fact, he even at, at one point uh, wanted to find out whether she had gin characteristics, and he, he's, Solomon is said to have, have um, created a, a fake pond in one of his palaces, uh, a pond that looked like water but was actually glass, and uh, invited um, the Queen of Sheba, who she was known in Arabic tradition as Bilkis, asked her to walk across it. It was very shallow, of course, it seemed, and she did, and she lifted her skirts, and he wanted to catch a look at her legs to see if she was uh, could possibly be a djinn uh, based on her legs. Some people said that they had hairy legs or even goat feet. Um, these beliefs, of course... They vary depending on where the story comes from. But um, there is, uh, the outcome of that particular incident has been kept secret from all, all of us, so we don't know exactly what Solomon saw. Uh, but Solomon, uh, he did have the ability to control the jinn based on a, a ring that God gave him. This magic ring, which had the seal of Solomon on it, which is essentially the, the Star of David, um, this ring um, has been lost to history if it ever existed, but it was said to have the power to make um, evil jinn do his bidding, and uh, they, in effect, became his servants and built a number of palaces and castles um, throughout the Middle East on Solomon's behalf. Um, there are a number of other stories that talk about um, these jinn when they have, some of them got free and you know what happened uh, what happened there there there's, a, there's some good stories in the arabian nights in relation to this some of them are tied in with some very old history for, from el andalus or islamic spain and um in, in connection with something called the city of brass there was said to be in the sahara as somewhere a city built of brass and um one of the governors of Al-Andalus, um, um, uh, at the request of the caliph in Damascus, uh, went on an expedition into the desert to find the city. And in the process, he found the city, but he, he also found uh, um, somewhere near the sea um, a collection of uh, sometimes described as casks, sometimes as um, other types of containers, uh, that were in the, that were at the bottom of the sea, and and they were said to contain gin. And he had them brought out by uh, by divers and placed on the shore and opened. And as he opened them, the um, the gin who were were in these these casks flew out rapidly into the sky and uh, and expressed great. Uh, fear of Solomon. They thought Solomon was still alive, and they fled from him because uh, he had put them in these boxes. Uh, 
many, many years ago, according to tradition. Um, Would you say that Fear of Solomon is their generic response? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are definitely (laughs) generically uh, uh, frightened by Solomon. He He was the guy with the power. And that's why there have been some people who have, have looked for that ring of power that he had and uh, tried to figure out where it could have been. Of course, that assumes that the story is true. But um, all, all we know is that it's a great story. And uh, there are a number of, uh, of castles and structures in various parts of the Middle East. And this one that I mentioned in the Sahara was supposed to have been built by Solomon too at the, with uh Jinn laborers. Uh, the, the story of Solomon is is grander than the reality, obviously, and his ex, the extent of his empire was was immense, according to the uh, to ancient belief. Uh, this is the same as Alexander the Great, of course, who was who's dramatized even more, I think, in the romances of Alexander the Great. Um, I don't have any good. Jin stories about well, was, <laughs> there's a lot of stories about them doing miraculous things, but then there's the more sinister side about uh, abductions. So, uh, wh- why do you think they're reported to abduct children? What is that all about? I don't know. I don't know what it's about. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, I think it's basically um, um, it's it's an explanation, you know, for for uh, for having a child that that doesn't appear to be. <laughs> The child of the, of the parents. Um, it's it's one way the to explain story. it. The okay. cha- it's the changeling. Okay. And uh, you know you see that sometimes. And uh, who else could have taken the child but but the jinn and, and substituted one of their own, who is obviously not from our family. Um, uh, I don't I don't know um, really. But there are abduc- abductions of adults as well that take place. In some cases, people that live many years with the jinn. Some of them uh, eventually escaped. There was, uh, I remember reading one, there's a story in the book about this. There's one um, one guy who was, I think he spent seven years with the jinn, and he finally escaped uh, when he came across some rue, which is a, a plant that the jinn hate, and uh, was told to stay away from it, that they hated it, and because the, they had him, he, he was out in in, in uh, the wilderness with the jinn, and the uh, by by running toward that rue and grabbing it and and holding it to himself, he, he managed to frighten the jinn away, so he was able to go home to his family. Uh, but there are cases where pe- you know people are captured by them and and I guess enslaved by them. But that um, um, the, any kind of story you can imagine probably has been told somewhere in the Middle East about uh, about the jinn. Uh, I think they 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 cover a multitude of sins. I was going to ask one thing that intrigued me about about the book and your discussion of jinn was that uh, is that they not only can they take you know, basically any form they want, primarily of course animals, but of course they can look exactly like us. Um, and so, and you know, and your book talks about people who believe or sort of suspect that they may have encountered jinn uh, previously, people either who either did bad things to them or did good things to them in a couple of cases, doing favors for them. Um, so how? 
assuming that jinn exist and <laughs> that that's a big assumption but assuming they exist how would we uh how would we know who who's the who's a jinn and who's not i mean if if they can act like us if they can get married if they have kids if they have you know jobs and religions and faiths and if if in in just about every other way they can be exactly identical to us our, our doppelgangers uh yes. how do we tell uh how do we tell them apart we can't um that they they can uh, duplicate uh, people and and act just like them and they're, if they are not doing it for evil purposes there's no way you can tell if they are doing it for evil purposes you can use religion to uh, to expose them because they're they're, a, they're the the evil jinn fear the word of God according to tradition and you can use the uh, the formulas to, to to sort of like garlic, you know, to, to bring them out, as as, as you might with a with a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think there are probably cases, uh, and you read about them in in, in lore uh, of you know people who were who are jinn and and go many years without being detected, but generally something they either they slip up. Or, or in their cases where, um, or, or they um, are somehow detected, uh, but you know, generally, uh, you know, they can do it for quite some time, and you wouldn't know. And there, we've, you see examples, modern examples of this in the book, where um, uh, there's a, a, a girl, a Bangladeshi girl, who was talking about a girlfriend of hers who that she's convinced is a jinnia or a female jinn. But there are. Um, and she didn't realize it at first, but uh, you know, people then they conclude after seeing certain behaviors that that these people are jinn. So, so often, sort of a, a retrospective diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an explanation. You know, how do you explain uh, some bizarre behavior? How do you explain anything? Uh, well, you draw upon your traditions, and this is, this is where the jinn come in, and they're. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, some interesting examples of that um, for you, but I... Well, they can read uh, the book, right? (laughs) I think that's what it's for. I mean, basically, I'm not trying to persuade anyone of anything in this book. I really, I just want to open them up to the the tradition and and let people look at it and and enjoy it, because I think there's some interesting and um, amusing and scary stuff to be learned from it. Well, and, and for a lot of us, who, even people who uh, read up on monsters and the supernatural a lot, uh, the the just because we live uh, in in a westernized world, we aren't able to be exposed so easily to some of the folklore and cultures from other parts of the world. So this is a a great uh, thing for you to put that out. Thanks. Sometimes I I, I want to do some more writing on on the connections between our traditions and the people here in the Middle East, because uh, I've, I've found some interesting connections of some of our, our monsters uh, from the European tradition. And um, I was just doing some study of, um, of one of one of the monsters that's well known in, in the West, even though it isn't a European phenomenon. That's the zombie is very popular today. Um, it originally comes out of um, a Haitian tradition, and and from uh, before Haiti came out of sub-Saharan Africa, but the the zombie as we see it today in, in modern 
uh, folklore, which you'd have to say includes um, motion pictures, uh, is is um, quite different from the zombie of, of Haiti or uh, New Orleans even. Uh, the zombie um, that we see in uh, George Romero's The Night of the Living Dead is, is actually a bloodthirsty, uh, flesh-eating creature. And I've seen uh, a recent, uh, uh, fairly recent study of, of George Romero's work, and he's a real pioneer in the modern zombie. Uh, it says that he actually borrowed that concept from uh, the Middle East, from the ghoul. The ghoul hmm, I, is a... Yeah. It's a very as a flesh-eating monster. It's a it's a gin origin, and um, it's uh, it, it when you think about it, it ties in very well with uh, Night of the Living Dead. And my uh, next my next question was going to be: You cover ghouls quite a lot. What is the relationship between the ghoul and the gin? Well, it's kind of a specialized gin. It's an evil one. It's. Um, it doesn't fit into the major categories. When I said the shaitan and the ifrit and the marid, it doesn't fit into those, or into the run-of-the-mill gin, which would be either just the gin as we know it, or the jan, which is the collective of all these creatures. They call them jan, J-A-N-N. Um, but the ghoul is is a particularly frightening example, which almost universally believed to be a gin. Um, However, I'm sure there are some, you'll find some people say, no, no, it isn't. But it is a monster that is said to inhabit caves and uh, remote places that will uh, uh, trick you. Um, often it's, it's a female, often called a gula. And the gula will, uh, will first present itself as being very beautiful and then suddenly reveal its, its, its uh, frightening Appearance. It's it's a large, hairy, ugly beast, and um, and it uh, loves to eat uh, human flesh. And uh, there's some wonderful stories out of Yemen on on this. Um, there was a, a guy, um, King um, Saif, who, who was one of the kings of Yemen, who ends up going to um, he gets uh, in effect dropped into a, a valley of the ghouls and. Um, is kind of is stuck there and trying to figure out how to survive because um, he knows that this valley in Yemen is filled with these evil ghouls. So he goes up into a tree and uh, to spend the night. And when he wakes up in the morning, there's all the tree is surrounded by these monsters that just want to eat him and they can, they can smell him like the Jack and the Beanstalk giant, you know, fee, fi, fo, fum. Uh, they know they can smell human flesh and human blood, and they were around the tree ready to chomp on him. Um, he eventually gets out of this by um, uh, cutting a deal with the queen of the ghouls, and um, it's a long story, but uh, he's a hero, so he gets to escape. Um, but these kind of things, uh, the ghouls are, um, those legends still exist in Egypt. They're very popular in Egypt. Um, I haven't heard a lot of that in Saudi Arabia, but um, as I said, Yemen is is, a, is rich uh, territory for the ghoul as well. Well, do you do you oh, sorry do you do you read H.P. Uh, Lovecraft or Robert E. Howard? Sure. sure. Yeah, I was going to say Both. the uh, it's interesting how especially Howard's work ties into the sort of Arabic djinn uh, and the sort of take on the the Celtic uh, little people 
and Arthur Mocken's take on the little people as not something that's just a fairy tale, but something that's really horrible and frightening. Uh, so the, 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 this uh, Lovecraft yeah, and yeah, Howard sort of formed that nexus uh, within fiction of tying that folklore together really neatly. So, Yeah, I agree. It's very, very interesting. And um, a lot of this stuff that comes out of the Middle East is, is, has been uh, integrated into, into Western uh, literature. And I, I think that's, well, that's one of the reasons I, I got interested in it. I came into it sort of to the back door and then realized, oh, this is the Middle East. I mean, they're all talking about this area where I live. And um, I was happy to, uh, to be able to do the research to, um, to find out more about this. And I, this is something that uh, I think um, people around the world can uh, enjoy, particularly as literature. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of really interesting gin-related tales uh, that, that people can, uh, can, can grab onto if they are of a mind to. It's, if, you're, if you're tired of the old monsters, uh, try some of these. They're even older, but they look a little newer because you haven't, uh, you haven't seen them much. Yeah, they're they're, directly. they're 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 sort of a, a new a new variation, new twist on a lot of a lot of what people think. That's that's one of the things that I uh, was that surprised me, frankly, about your book was that you know I, I knew it was about uh, you know genies and gin, uh, but then all of a sudden we're talking about ghouls and we're talking about you know <laughs> urban legends. We're talking about succubi, and and it was interesting to sort of see how how there's all these these tangential monsters and creatures that are actually uh, actually tr- you know, trace their roots back to gin and certainly have common common roots. Um, l- let me ask about, you talked about um, one very, one version of it, um, uh, seducing men. So people believe that you can have sex with gin. What, what do, what do the, the gin experts say? I mean, is it, uh, are there, there are people who, there's a who lot of dispute over that, that it is not, it's not a hundred percent. If you, Ask an Islamic scholar, he could come up with one one answer or the other. There are a number of them who say, "Oh, yes, it's it's purely uh, normal and natural for these two different species to um, to have relations, sexual relations." Uh, others will say, "No, it's impossible." And and I think I I, I referred to both of these traditions, but there um, the more interesting one is where where the two species can interact in that way. And there's, um, I think that, I think on the popular level, it's, um, it's more, it's more accepted than, um, than the one that says that they can't have relations. Um, it's accepted because it's, it's more interesting. It's more tantalizing. And it also, some of it ties in with these, um, I don't know. There's, there's an awful lot of, uh, heavy symbolism involved in all, all of this stuff that's uh, the, mm-hmm. the gin stuff and and one of the things I'm, I'm thinking of an example would be um, the Palestinians um, um, the Palestinians who have have had um, had relations with uh, gin um, that who were Jewish gin mm-hmm. had sexual relations with them so I mean it's kind of a I mean it's sort of like Trying to solve the Middle East conflict through bizarre <laughs> monsters. I don't know. It's kind of right, it's really right. unusual. But there, I mean, if you read up on the, in the psych, psychiatric literature in uh, Israel, there's a lot on this. Uh, the Israeli psychologists and psychiatrists have 
taken great interest in the in the belief in um, in the jinn and um, and their and the connections with the the political situation. And uh, generally, it's the Palestinians who were the, the ones who were most affected by the jinn phenomenon. There, uh, most of the Israelis are pretty westernized or modern in their uh, perspective. As Islam has spread, have the jinn spread as well? I mean, so like, is is American people uh, would would they expect American Islamic people would they expect to see? Uh, a jinn instead of a ghost in the house is that is, you know what I mean? I mean, is, is it as a yeah. folklore? Is it's, it's carried over? It carries over. There are cases of, of jinn possession and and jinn uh, activity in the states. Um, there've been uh, uh, I've been collecting this kind of lore for a long time and and only could put a fraction of it in this, in this book. But there are a lot of news stories. That, um, you'd be surprised how many times the jinn pop up. In places where they're not expected, one of them is in the United States, and um, it's been involved in jinn. Jinn uh, belief is tied in with uh, with the uh, the terrorism issue. There there were cases of uh, people who are associated with terrorist groups who were um, believers in jinn, and hmm. um, uh, I think you you saw some of that in Iraq as well. Um, there were people who were saying that uh, Saddam Hussein had made a pact with the jinn. Uh, it looks like they didn't keep their side of the bargain. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because uh, I earlier this year there was actually a story that came out that Ahmadinejad uh, of Iran, uh, his foes and and I think people people in his cabinet were accused of using jinn um, and yeah. using for their own purposes. Uh, so it's, it's fascinating to me, again, to sort of see the way that this ancient tradition can be sort of rebottled and respun and used for, for political purposes and sort of, you know, so oh, just, you just dust it off. Uh, what, do you think that's going to continue or what do you uh, – why is that such an effective – if it is – I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you think that is an effective strategy and if so, why? Well, I don't uh... – I don't think it's, it gets as far as uh, as it as it might have in the old days. Um, I know that that issue did come up, but I I think it also died down pretty fast. Um, mm. So I don't think it was as effective a tool, um, particularly in in those among those people who are not extremely traditional. Now you have uh, someone like uh, Ahmadinejad is, but he's a mixture, you know, and he he, he comes out of a. Uh, a tradition that's that's very very uh, supportive of the jinn, but at the same time he's he's tried to to distance himself from some of the religious leaders who support that kind of thing. So I don't know. I don't. Uh, I think you're going to see more of it in particularly in uh, developing countries. Uh, more jinn uh, references as uh, as political excuses. You'll see. I think we've seen that in. Um, We've seen it in uh, certain countries in Africa. Um, I think we saw it in uh, Afghanistan. And, um, but this is—I uh, don't—I don't think it's something that's uh, that's on the rise um, because the, the belief in the jinn, I don't think, is is necessarily on the rise. I think it's reached a sort of a, a stabilized level, and and will, if anything, will be declining as time goes on. So, 
Well, how would uh, one distinguish a jinn from some other supernatural entity? What what kind of powers did they have uh, that make them unique? No, different jinn have different powers. They have the power to uh, enter a human body, which is one thing. They have the power to fly. Um, many jinn uh, uh, have been known to to fly great distances in very very short amount of time, and and uh, this is Solomon and others used used this uh, ability to for reconnaissance that they would find out about what was going on in a neighboring country by sending jinn off. Um, there are, um, depends on, uh, again, on the, on what type of gin there are. Some of them have, uh, the ability to, um, to, uh, to speak through human beings. Um, when they, when they possess, they can <clears throat> take over the, uh, in addition to controlling the, they control the body and the mind apparently because they're able to speak, um, through the person and uh, say what they want to be said. Um, I think then you got gin that are just, uh, they're just living their lives and they're not trying to uh, perform tricks or uh, exert powers over people. Um, I've mm-hmm. talked to people who've actually said they were gin. Uh, you can never, um, these are actually uh, remote contacts texts by email and then have no validity scientifically but people who 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 are actually um, Saudi and said they were jinn and uh, described in great detail the kinds of lives they led and and where they came from where they went to school and what their tribe was like and did you notice uh, which uh, internet service provider the jinn preferred <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> I think I, there are, wherever there is email, there are jinn. I just and, I know uh, that, uh, that in in a, at least in Western culture, the jinn are really famous for having these really tricky uh, contracts. Like in order to get them to do something for you, you have to be very specific in how you word it, and uh, that sort of conflict between that kind of contract mind and the uh, people who do internet service providers contracts. No, that's clever. It could be really it could be tight. <laughs> yeah, it really could. <laughs> But I, I, for the most part, jinn are not going to do you any favors. You can count on that. Um, and if they're forced to, they will. But um, you're going to have to find a way to compel them, and that's that's where the problem lies. That's. Um, I, let me ask you about that because the the first time that I uh, really investigated jinn was in Africa in uh, 2007 when I was in Zanzibar off the coast of Tanzania, and I was looking into a mysterious creature called the Popobawa, which is that means bat wing or bat foot. And uh, it's this sort of combination of uh, gin, ghost, uh, vampire creature. And I interviewed locals about the monster, and some some people believed um, – a lot of them didn't believe in it at all. They just thought it was a, just sort of a piece of folklore. But many of them yeah. did. Um, and what, what really interested me was that when I asked them, well, where, what do you think the nature of this creature is? Um, oftentimes the explanation was that it was a gin. It was uh, – not only was it a gin, but it was basically a, a gin that had escaped its master. Uh, and I was told that there were, um, for lack of a better word, wizards or witch doctors who lived uh, near Zanzibar, maybe in Pemba or in the Comoros Islands, um, that that could control uh, jinn. And uh, and you talked a little bit about that with like the the, the seal of Solomon, but um, mm-hmm. I guess I have two questions. One is 
how would a modern day wizard uh, either capture and or control a jinn? And number two, uh, how do modern Muslims sort of reconcile uh, the, the 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 belief? And again, you sort of touched on this earlier, but uh, you know how how do they go about their daily lives thinking that there is you know a, a, an evil jinn that's doing bad things in their midst? <laughs> they, uh, wizards use uh, spells. And uh, there are spell books, um, medieval spell books that teach you how to um, how to do this sort of thing, how to control the jinn. Um, I haven't seen any of these; I've just read about them. Um, I did have an offer to see a translation of one at one time from a Pakistani graduate student um, who said he was going to try out some of these spells. Um, Unfortunately, he had a very bad experience and only shared a little bit of it, um, but he insisted that it worked and uh, it, that it left his uh, his apartment uh, scorched black on the walls and that he never wanted to do this again. So I, I don't, uh, I haven't, uh, this is not an area where, particularly in Saudi Arabia, you don't get into this sort of thing in any great detail. Um, it's it's considered uh, black magic or, the, or what they call the condemned system. Um, sorcery is uh, is not uh, legal in Saudi Arabia. However, there are people around uh, the Islamic world who practice this, and we all know that that's the case. And they use spells, and I, I would venture to say that most of them are very ancient uh, Arabic uh, grimoires, basically. And... Um, hmm. The, these books are, are out there. Uh, some of them are are accessible. Um, whether they work or not, I can't say. Well put. <laughs> so we have to ask every everybody who comes on our show. We try to ask them uh, what what is your favorite monster? Mm, my favorite monster. Mm. I would have to say. Um, um, uh, Pazuzu the demon, I would say he's he's the best. That's a good one. A lot of people like that. Yeah. <laughs> simply because I I really enjoyed The Exorcist, and um, I didn't realize that it actually had an actual basis in uh, one of the Middle Eastern demons. So it's a film that turned a lot of heads. And I, I've spent a lot of time in Georgetown where they they did some of that shooting. Uh, the video, uh, the filming of that uh, movie. So, yeah, my niece is at Georgetown now, so I want to I want to go visit at some point and get a picture of the staircase. So you have to, yeah, you have to go. It was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say, Robert, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, your book's very interesting, and we'll put well, a link you. to it in our show notes. Yeah, good good job on that. It. It's a it's, it's a really fine piece of work, and uh, I mean, if uh, I would consider it essentially the definitive book on on gin. Uh, I mean, I know there are others out there, but this is this is certainly the 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 most recent, and I think the most thorough. And it, it just does a does a great job. So um, good job on that. Thank you. I point out one thing, but um, before we go, um, this being the uh, the end of Ramadan, uh, during the month of Ramadan, the uh, the gin are are imprisoned by God, and um, they're all chained, and they can't do all, all the evil that they normally do. This is God's way of giving, cutting a break for mankind. But uh, Ramadan's over, so they're on the loose again. Uh-oh. Better be careful. 
At least you can um, have something to eat while you uh, ponder how to handle that, right? <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Monster Talk. Thanks for listening to another episode of Monster Talk. You've been listening to Blake Smith and Ben Radford interview author Robert Lebling about his book, Legends of the Fire Spirits, which is all about the Arabic tales of jinn, genie, and ghouls. A link to his book is in the show notes. If you've enjoyed Monster Talk, I hope you'll consider donating a buck or two to our transcription project. Thanks to listeners like Gerko Balintian, Robert Smith, James F. Stein, Katie Alvarado, Brian Beaton, John St. Clair, Shane Brady, and David Rodriguez, we've managed to get six episodes ordered up for transcription so far. Having the transcripts helps in several ways. It helps Google searchers find us, it helps people reference our content in Wikipedia, and it will be vital for my upcoming YouTube project, which I'm planning for the show. It costs between $60 and $70 to get an episode transcribed, so even just a few dollars is very helpful. And thanks to everyone who's given so far. We really appreciate it. If you want to meet other listeners to Monster Talk, come join our Facebook group. It's free, and there's a lot of fun content posted there. You can find it by searching Monster Talk on Facebook, or come to monstertalk.org, and you'll find links to the Facebook page, as well as contact info for all the hosts, and links to our Twitter feed and other content. Monster Talk is produced with the help of Skeptic Magazine. Thanks, Skeptic Magazine. Music for today's episode included Arabian Landscape by Guardian Mind Mix. And as always, our theme music's by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you again for listening. skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skeptic, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. Uh, it makes sense that they would be communicating with uh, telephones because they could be locked in with Solomon's ringtone. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would have tremendous power if we could, if we could duplicate Solomon's ringtone. I'll promise, Ben, I'll take these jokes out and post. <laughs> Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.